This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, on this very special Monday, I see that you are dressed in the scariest, scariest way possible, dude. Rawr. I'm a bear market. It's, hor- it's horrible. Just horrible. Stay away. Stay away. I didn't know today was the dress people. up day. I would have <laughs> would have actually got dressed. Of course it's dress Here my whitey tighties is a little awkward. Thank goodness I uh, can't see below the card table. But we've got a very important thing to do on Halloween, but not just on Halloween, a special day for you and I. Very spectacular. On a day like every other day, normal days, Halloween days, holidays, whatever it is, men and women protecting us out there every day, doing their job so that you and I can sit here and just relax and chat about money. Eat candy. Raise our glasses. Yeah, absolutely. I got to tell you, I went through a whole bag of the uh, Nestle Crunch Bars just to make sure they were good before Halloween. Well, you have to test, do a random test. Although, have you noticed that in the in those bags, there's like one or two that you really like, but it's always the least. Uh, it's not a. It's not an even ratio. It's like there's six Milky Ways, eleven Snickers. 10 Nestle crunches and 450 whoppers. And you're like, I, I right. can I have 450 Nestle crunch bars, please. I'll trade. Well, you. that's why I don't do the mixed bag anymore. Yeah, you just buy what you want. <laughs> I just buy the Nestle crunch and the Kit Kat. And that's, that's it. it. That's it. That is you all just I get. Go right to the source. I like it. Well, here's to the men and women keeping us safe so that we can pontificate about money and about chocolate Thanks to our armed forces for all that you do. Yeah, on behalf of the men and women making podcasts here in the basement and the men and women at Navy Federal Credit Union, here's to our troops. I am Paul Blucher. Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and happy Halloween. Well, it was a happy Halloween for me until Joe's mom jumped out at me in her Jason mask. I had to raid the basement lost and found just to get some clean shorts. Today, to talk about your financial horror stories, we welcome from Minority Mindset, Jaspreet Singh. 
We also welcome from Money Life with Chuck Jaffe. Uh, Chuck Jaffe. That's not all. We've scared up a great TikTok minute, and we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Lisa. And we'll wash it all down with some witch's brew, a.k.a. some horrifying trivia. And now, two guys who aren't wearing masks, so be prepared to scream. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. It's Monday. For most people, that's a reason to scream, but not today. It's a holiday, but we're still working. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Saul Cihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And what a show we have today. We're going to start things off on a bang with me introducing to you the guy across the table, Mr. OG. Dude, you showed up on a holiday. Well, it's not really a holiday, but okay. I, I, I was listening to your like you introducing to me i'm like who are you introducing to wait me? of course it's you oh you're talking oh we're breaking the fourth wall dang it <laughs> it's it's the person everybody wants to see you how are you man you ready I, for trick-or-treating tonight i am yes yes we uh i love our neighborhood it's great i love our house it's fantastic but we have a lot of stairs in the front of our house to our house and it's not well lit you know hashtag safety issue. So we generally just to keep, keep the train moving is we go stand by the sidewalk, which is, oh, down, yeah. you know, just kind of sit on that. There's like a little rock wall ledge that we have in front of our house. We just kind of sit there and the kids don't have to run up the stairs and, you know, worry about somebody face planting on the concrete or something, you know, but it kind of takes the joy out of the, you know, the ding dong trick or treat, you know what I mean? Cause they just walk up and they're like, Hey, yo, is this the candy place? Candy. Yo, yo what's up? Hit me. Hit me with the candy, but our neighbors a couple doors down, they have a similar setup and they, uh, they always kick it up a notch. They've got like the kids ice cream thing and then oh. they've got the adult ice cream thing, which oh. is really just fireball. Perfect. Yeah. So you, you're telling me that Mrs. OG sits in front of your house and you sit down there. That's what you're really saying. Uh, I, I do show up from time to time. I'm like, Oh, Hey, Hey, Hey neighbor. They're like, weren't you oh. just here? I'm like, no, uh, uh-uh. no, it's my brother. Maybe looks a lot like me. Did I tell you that I'm I'm uh, triplets? I'm triplets. Yeah. We got a great show today, like man. We got... like, hey, neighbors. How's it going? <laughs> the last guy didn't slur. I slur. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We got a great show today. We got not one guest, but two, as uh, Doug told you. So we've got a lot to do. We got to get this party moving. But you know what? The scariest thing that you could ever do on Halloween is probably this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to 
what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. I don't think those are actually that scary. I think I think those yeah. are actually pretty good stuff. It's a Halloween episode of Stacking Benjamins. In our headline segment, we're going to kick things off with our friend Chuck Jaffe from The Money Life with Chuck Jaffe. Every year, as you know, OG, he turns trick-or-treating into an economic game. We talked to him last week on a fireside chat about that. We're going to play that interview here as our headline segment. So let's get moving. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Well, here on Halloween, we've got some wild statistics lately on Halloween. Listen to this. Consumers plan to spend an average of $102.74 this year, making it the first time the amounts hit triple digits. I take that back. It's the second time 2021 it hit triple digits. Also, while Halloween traditionally has been a children's holiday, no longer peeps, 55% of U.S. households without children plan to celebrate Halloween this year, up from 49% just a couple of years ago, and also two-thirds of people across America celebrating Halloween. So most people celebrate it the same way. They go, they knock on a door, and they ask trick-or-treat where some irresponsible adult hands them a phenomenal piece of candy But you know what? My guest today doesn't do that. And for the past several years, we've talked to him about uh, the alternative method he's taken, using this as an opportunity to teach kids a little bit about money, about economics, and about the value of a candy bar. Chuck Jaffe from the Money Life shows here. How are you, man? I'm great, Joe. Always great to be with you. Well, super to see you again. Let's go into the history for people that haven't followed this, all right? Wait, wait, wait. Before we do that, Joe. Let's get into an argument here. I don't know where your study came from, but my study comes from LendingTree, and it says Americans plan to spend $169 on average this year. $169. $169, with parents of underage children spending $309. Now, of course, that includes things like costumes and, and what have you. And the point is, Inflation is seriously hitting Halloween, and oh yes, it is affecting the decision-making at my house when we get to cash or candy this year. Oh man, I can't wait to hear about that. I want you to just tell people about the genesis of this whole thing for people that haven't haven't been here with you and I the last several years. 
Well, so this started in 2016, although my kids look back and go, why weren't you doing this when we were home? Yeah, right. This started in 2016, and part of it was a different desire. I live in a neighborhood of mostly cul-de-sacs. There's one block in, and every other street that's off of it ends in cul-de-sacs. And I'm now the old guy, right? My kids are grown and gone away. The neighborhood is turned over. And I want to make it that I, I work from home. I should be approachable. I'm like everybody's emergency contact because they know I've been working from home for 20 years. So I wanted to have something where I could reach out and talk to the kids. But then I wanted to do something that's in keeping with what we do. And cash or candy made a lot of sense. What I realized very quickly is let's have some fun and do this. And then I wish that each year I could just pass what I did last year to the neighbor on my left. <laughs> Because then you'd have a whole neighborhood doing different things with different financial incentives. And also you'd get away from the idea. I will simply tell you for anyone who decides to do this, and I totally recommend doing this. But if you decide to do it, you should understand if you're the only house in your neighborhood who's giving away cash, kids will take your cash. That's what's going to happen. It started as a simple either or choice in 2016. You can have three pieces of fun size candy, or you could pick from an envelope that had a variable amount of money in it. Quickly, it became trade or treat, if you will, where you could have your, and, and mind you, this applies to kids in the third grade and up. Teenies, I love them. They get three pieces of candy, right? And by the way, the teenies don't even need the three pieces of candy. So I'm, I guess I'm particularly right, generous. Right, right. But, but third grade and up, and that's also a good thing for me because, again, it gives me a reason to talk to every kid who's by, hey, what grade are you? Okay, well, make sure you come by next year when you can play and what have you. And by the way, my neighborhood is turned over. And so right now we're just getting like this year should be massive because we had a ton of little kids last year who were second graders. So we will, I will have almost 20% more kids this year just from that if everyone who was here last year comes back. You had kids playing for big money, if I remember right. Well, we still do. We still do. We, then we added, in 2019, we added a lottery element, which was an additional option. At that point, kids could trade six pieces of candy for the chance to play for a $20 jackpot. But there was a $20 jackpot and a $10 second prize and everything else was empty. And I will tell you that that year shook me a little bit because I had a neighbor child who went out, was waiting. She couldn't wait for everybody else to get there. So she sort of did our block and she did everybody on my little cul-de-sac first. And she gets to me and she's got six pieces of candy because my neighbors are a little more stingy than I am. Just saying. <laughs> she comes, she's like, I want to play for big money. She trades six pieces of candy, pulls an envelope that is empty. And I know that she says, so she goes back. Her parents are like, hey, what's he doing this year, et cetera. She opens the envelope. I have now taken 100% of her candy. She's got nothing. I am the Grinch who stole Halloween at that moment. Now, mind you, she got plenty of candy the rest of the night. And by the way, when I say that an envelope has nothing in it, every envelope has something that explains the game. We do that, A, so that the envelopes feel the same because kids will try to game any system. Oh, what's, what's sure, that? Yeah, picture? right. So, so a winning envelope has a bill and a piece of paper. And by the way, we cut the piece of paper as small as we can. Every place else, we cut the piece of paper as big as we can to try to make it that it works out that way. 
And that year I had a kid named Liam, neighbor kid. There will come when he is someday with a family of his own. He will tell the story of how he went trick-or-treating and came home winning 20 bucks. Wow. So yes, you have a lottery element. I want to hear though, before you get too far away from this, the neighbor kid with the stingy parents who came home with nothing. I feel like there's two different ways you can say the words Chuck Jaffe. You can say Chuck Jaffe and you can go Chuck Jaffe. Yeah. The answer is she shouldn't have come to me first. If she had, you know, she shouldn't have gone out, gotten six pieces of candy and come to trade everything she had. Yeah. The fact is that the real value in this is the money lessons we teach and the conversations we have. And there's my favorite story ever. The first year that we did a trade, I have seven girls who come up to the house. They're all in beautiful costumes. They're all carrying pillowcases full of candy. We're taking three pieces of candy to play for bigger money. The first six girls, oh, reach in, grab a handful, whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. I'm only taking three. I take my three pieces from each of them randomly, and I put them in my candy dish. Get to the seventh girl, and she says, no, 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 I want candy. She takes three Snickers bars from my my dish, and I say, I got to know. Six of your friends just went gambling, and you said, oh, no, no, not me. And she goes, oh, that's easy. My parents and I have a, an agreement. Snickers bars are my favorite. My parents can take sample whatever, my extra candy for anything they want, except for Snickers. <laughs> they will never take a Snickers bar. So she got, a, she got a guaranteed Snickers. I watched you pull a Snickers bar from like every one of my friends here. And I knew I could take three Snickers bars. I go trick-or-treating to get Snickers bars. That's my biggest prize. So she actually spent, she said, this is what I came to do. This is why it's worth my spending the you know, money that I would have gotten otherwise. All right. This year, Chuck, what's the new game? What's the 2022 Jaffe Halloween game? Given inflation, we wanted to create a sure thing option. Again, three pieces of candy is your base. That's your return on investment for coming to my house. You get dressed up, come to my house. It's now going to be 50 cents is basically your baseline. So your choices are take a $1 coin, a $1 coin. Simple as it doesn't get any more complicated than that. So you could trade up immediately to get a buck. Or you can give me two candies to play for the chance to win between a quarter and $6. And by the way, if you're wondering why it's six, it's because $6 would be a dollar coin and a $5 bill. Uh, what is what is the value of a single fun size candy? I would say at this point, it's about 17, 18 cents. Okay. So at 18 cents, it's 54 cents is roughly your value. So that's why I'm saying it's about 50 cents. I mean, because I'm always buying my candy on sale and what have you. And by the way, the other benefit of doing this is that I can buy less candy. I actually spend less on candy because I get candy in trade. Now that we're able to go back to trade. Well, so wait a minute. So the, I mean, the dollar is an instant win for them is is clearly an instant win. But the, I can trade, think about what you're actually doing. You're going to be getting between, I've said it's a quarter. It might be 50 cents. It might be 50 cents to $6, but even at 50 cents, at 50 cents, you're actually trading me 
for nothing better and if, for no real improvement, right? You're just getting cash. And the average envelope there is going to be worth a little bit more than a dollar, but the chances are you're not going to do any better than the dollar. Yeah. And then it's trade me five pieces of candy for the chance to play the lottery. 50 envelopes, two winners, 30 bucks at stake, 20 and a 10, which means, by the way, that the average is 60 cents, right? 30 bucks spread over 50 envelopes. The average is 60 cents. But you had a buck that was a sure thing. So that's a huge part of it. You Do you take the risk? The biggest risk has the biggest cost because you're not only giving up the candy you would have gotten, but five pieces of candy means you're on the hook for 90 cents to me. Thanks so much for giving me the candy that I didn't have to buy for somebody else. Let's talk for a second about kids and money in these conversations, because the thing I love about this, Chuck, is that too many parents, I think, do not want to let their kids fail with money. And I love this idea of, frankly, this incredibly low cost, just a few pieces of candy to make a really stupid move to do that lottery option, right? Uh, I love it. I feel like kids are going to fail anyway. Why not fail with very little money early on so that they don't make the big mistakes later? Why not also see kids' logic? So here's a funny one. Remember I mentioned Liam, the kid who won the jackpot yes. that year? Yeah. So one thing everybody should know, if you're taking an envelope, put it in your bag, take it home, open it at home. I don't want to know what you did. I want you to open it, talk to your parents, celebrate a win. Like, hey, I, I won, you know, I won some money here. But Liam got to the end of my driveway, opened it up. I won, I won, I won. He's all happy. And I now know the $20 jackpot's gone and I've got kids coming for the rest of the night that I have to tell them about the lottery option. And I know their odds of winning are now even lower. Yeah. Liam comes back the next year, has the lottery option, doesn't take it. He took the sure thing. Wow, really? He took the ice cream. And I'm like, Liam, I gotta know. Like what? You're taking this? He goes, come on, Mr. Jaffe. Who's going to get that lucky twice in a row? <laughs> okay, you took your chance. Now, by the way, I'll point out that this past year, he played the lottery and he came away with nothing. But he's still way ahead. And so I'll be very curious to see what Liam does again this year. And again, I think that this year, I think the $1 option, the kids are going to recognize that that's the best one. Or it's going to be the exact opposite. And everybody will go for the lottery because... 20 bucks, man. I, I got to go for 20 bucks. Candy is it, free to me. And that's the other side is that you hope that they have these lessons that no, the candy is not free to you. You put in effort to get there. You had a return. You know, if I do X, this is what I get. Yeah. Now, instead, you did X, but you changed your financial choice and you didn't take a guaranteed win, or maybe you did take a guaranteed win. I mean, Think about this in all these different ways about what's happening with you know, delayed gratification and all the rest, things that we hope that we're going to do. And parents have these discussions. And by the way, if you are a parent, you don't want to go through this, and I totally understand it. Teach your kids economic lessons with the leftover candy. And by doing this, what I'm saying, and Joe, you and I have never discussed this, but I'm a huge believer. If your kids are like my kids, who are way too much candy, Instead of that girl with the Snickers bars, her, her parents taking candy, 
my kids didn't need any more candy. I didn't need to eat it either. But I would come up with a deal that says, okay, I'm willing to buy this candy from you. Now, which candies, what are you going to charge me for a Reese's cup versus what are you going to charge me for Smarties? I'm not going to get into the merits of who likes which one. But my kids eventually knew that like, wait, dad likes this. I can charge more for that. Yeah. Dad doesn't like this. He can have a whole bunch of those because I don't like them either. Right. And again, that girl with the Snickers, we couldn't necessarily offer her money, but she should understand, wait, if I have something of value that they really want, that I could charge my parents a dollar for. Whereas the candy that I don't like, you can take all that off my hands for almost nothing. Kids get these lessons. Tell everybody what's going on at the Money Life Show. What's happening over there? Well, you know, in the market conditions we have today in our business, good news is fine, but bad news is better. I mean, quite honestly, if you're trying to figure out what to do, we are an hour a day of, of personal finance and investment talk, and we are talking with just incredible guests. It's the Money Life Show with Chuck Jaffe. We just got the Halloween show with Chuck Jaffe. Chuck, thanks for hanging out with us again, my friend. Good seeing you, brother. Big thanks to Chuck for stopping by. Always, That guy's always dreaming of something new. I do not have the creativity that he has when it comes to Halloween. I mean, great, great on him for making it so fun, but not just for the kids, making it fun for him. Good times. Hey, let's roll into our TikTok minute on our super Halloween festival episode. OG, our TikTok minutes where we either shine a light on somebody doing something awesome or saying something awesome or somebody saying something hashtag awesome. Which one is this? Oh, on this spooktacular day, I'm thinking it's very, very scary. Oh, well, maybe it's scary if you don't like talking to people with a history of success. You might recognize this guy's voice. We have about five choices, you know, in our life. You know, we can be bad at what we do. I mean, we can be average at what we do. I mean, we can be good at what we do, or we can be excellent, or we can be elite. And everybody has a choice as to what they want to do and how they want to do that. But if you're going to be excellent or elite, you got to do special things. You have to have special intensity. You have to have special focus. You have to have uh, a special commitment and drive and passion uh, to do things at a high level and a high standard all the time. It doesn't matter what God-given ability that you have. Um, that probably can make you good. But without the rest of it, I'm not sure you ever get excellent or elite. And that, that's the part that we're trying to get to. So and we have about five choices. You know. There it is. As it cycles again, yeah. that's uh, Mr. Nick Saban, one of the winningest coaches in football. Or is he the winningest coach currently in football? I don't know. Probably the most, the winningest currently. I don't know if he's winning yeah, overall. Yeah, maybe, but, maybe not of all time, yeah. but but yeah, of guys on the sidelines now. Not 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 last week or two weeks ago. <sighs> that really resonates with me though, OG, because I see so many people as I'm searching for these TikTok minutes peddling the fact that you don't have to be great. You don't have to put in the homework. Here's the easy button. Here's the shortcut to get there. And I think the lesson from Nick is when you stop trying to find shortcuts and you instead start believing that I'm going to have to put in a little bit of work for this thing, that's when the excellence happens. I got uh, introduced to this book by a uh, podcast listener 
super listener, Ryan from Dallas. It's called Endure by Cameron Haynes. And this dude is straight up the most hardcore person in the world. Who's who's that uh, Navy SEAL Goggins guy, David Goggins? Yeah. This dude beat David Goggins. Really? Yeah. Straight up hardcore. And kind of his message is, if you want to set out to be the best at something, you have to do the thing. You have to be doing it all the time. You can't just show up on, you know, he's a, he's a big bow hunter. That's kind of his claim to fame among other things. But, um, he's like, you can't just show up and start shooting arrows, you know, a week before the season starts. If you want to be a really good basketball player, don't just show up in the court and lace up your shoes and go like, Oh, practice starts in 30 minutes. You better be shooting free throws all weekend long or all summer long, you know, before you get to the, uh, all week long before you get to practice. The recipe for success is not entirely difficult, nor is it, uh, unrepeatable. It leaves clues. It leaves clues everywhere. And if you look at the highest producing people, whether they're athletes or entertainers or real estate people or, you know, financial planners or like, you know, whatever you're into, if you look at what they do, they do it. It's not like, and then I just got so lucky and I won the lottery. You know what I mean? Like that's not, that's not the inspiring story. It's the doing. I am always suspicious yeah, there's a guy in our corner of the world who, whenever he talks, he always talks about, oh, so then I, you know, sold my business for a few million dollars and, you know, it just kind of happened. And then I did this other thing and, oh, it just kind of happened. And then all of a sudden I fell on a pile of money and I like rubbed my face in it and it just kind of happened. And whenever I hear those stories, I'm not just suspicious. I kind of know it's not true. OG. don't get me wrong. Like you can have a propensity to be kind of good at something, but when you fall into success five times and that's your message, I think you're kind of leading people astray a little bit. Well, you're missing the opportunity because I'm sure that there were 20 hour days during that business development. There were probably hires and fires that were, you know, stressful on the organization. There were probably months of no cash flow or doing three jobs at one, you know, there's probably some stress, right? Like using Nick Saban as an example, none of his players show up and don't run sprints. They don't, they don't show up and not lift weights. They have to do all of those things and put in the work. You know, a football game is a whole bunch of seven second plays. And each one of those plays are like, or, you know, about 160 to 180 plays a game. They're five to seven seconds each. It's not really a lot of time. If you look at the time of a play, what do you got? 700, 800 seconds of football every, every game. It's not a lot. And yet you have to do all of this work in preparation. So that every move is right. Much more of a ballet act out there, frankly, than what people think of is just, Hey, I'm just going to move this way. No, man, every step's got to be right. Everything is hard. Yeah. Everything is hard. And if you want to be great at it, you better better be ready to work. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, Winita sent that to me on Twitter. Uh, thanks, Winita. She said, this is super inspiring. And uh, I agree. I totally agree. If you've got a TikTok minute for us, whether inspiring or crazy or whatever you think it is, stackingbenjamins.com, uh, actually Joe at stackingbenjamins.com or uh, direct message me on social media. Hey, coming up next, Jaspreet Singh is an amazing individual. This guy has built a YouTube following OG ready. 
1.4 million followers. And what I love about his brand, Minority Mindset, is people who are financially literate are in the minority. When he talks about Minority Mindset, he goes, you want to be in the minority of people who think about your money carefully. And that is how Jess Breit and his team have built this fantastic this fantastic brand. And they did it in my favorite city, Detroit, Michigan. Jess Breit coming up next talking about some financial horror stories that he's experienced in his life. I think people think, oh, gee, of, of uh, Jesper is a guy who's never messed stuff up. He's going to talk about financial horror stories, tell us some very scary tales. But first, I think, uh, Doug, you've got some trivia for us, huh? Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And what was the last horror movie you liked? What even is a horror movie? I mean, I'm looking at the list. We found... Jaws on there? Seriously? Horror movie? Someone added Ghostbusters? Yeah, that was when I had my last fear-related nighttime accident, but I mean, got me some slack. I was only 34. According to Forbes, the first horror movie ever was a three-minute scare from way back in 1896. So, my Halloween question is, what's been the highest-grossing horror movie since then? I'll be right back with the answer after I go check under Joe's bed for him again. I told you I put the zombie force field up a long time ago, Joe. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to... Uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equalizing Lender. Hey there, stackers. I'm movie tough and local geek show, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. 
We've got lots of horrific films on our best of Halloween movie list from The Grudge to Gremlins to The Sixth Sense to that movie Kim Kardashian made with Ray J. But today's question, what is the highest grossing horror movie of all time? I would have thought it was The Exorcist, but turns out that number one was the Stephen King thriller, It. And now, to keep you from suffering your own financial freak show, we welcome a guy with millions of YouTube followers and lots of stories of money horrors, Jaspreet Singh. And I'm so excited to talk to this gentleman, the guy who's normally in Detroit, Michigan, the most badass city in the United States. Jaspreet Singh's here. How are you, man? (laughs) Good. Thank you so much for having me on. That's an honor to be on with you. Dude, what a, what a great city we live in. And being there, let's just talk about Detroit for just a second. You are seeing the rebirth of this city. It's got to be fun being there down. I think your studio's downtown or close to downtown. Yeah, we're not far from downtown. We're thinking about moving into the city. We've been kind of debating, but we're not far from downtown Detroit. Yeah. And how about the rebirth? That's got to be super fun. It's super exciting to see it all happen right in front of us. Yeah, people that uh, don't know Detroit, you got to go. Go visit Jaspreet uh, <laughs> and, uh, and take Come a down look. to Detroit. It's amazing. It is so good. All right, I could talk Detroit all day. Let's talk about you first. My understanding, doing a little bit of homework on you, Jaspreet, is that you, you were in school to become a doctor. Is that right? Yes. Growing up, I was told to become a doctor. My parents are immigrants from a state in India called Punjab, and they had that very traditional mindset of my kid needs to become a doctor. And if they don't become a doctor, they're failure. So for me, it was become a doctor, become a doctor, become a doctor. And then when I went to college, that's when I realized that I didn't want to be a doctor. And long story short, my parents said, if you want to keep any pride in the family, you got to at least become an attorney. <laughs> so I decided to go to law school. And for me, it was uh, okay because I knew if I went to law school, I could go to law school part-time, which means that I could work on my business full-time. So it was uh, one of those things where I did it for my parents. I got the degree. I gave my parents the degree. And I never worked a day as an attorney. How long did it take you being a YouTube star before your parents said that you might be okay. Like, and just to give people some, some context, when I was a financial planner, I was pretty good at it. Just Bree and my parents, one time we brought them downtown Detroit. They're from West Michigan, brought them downtown. We took them out for dinner, this nice, you know, five-star restaurant. We took them to a play at the Masonic temple. We had this great, great experience. But I remember halfway through dinner, my dad goes, so this financial planning thing, you think you're going to stick with it? Like, you think this is like that, that I'm doing okay. But did your, did your parents, when you're doing YouTube, I can't imagine their reaction. So my dad didn't know I was doing YouTube. He saw my first video when I had 380,000 subscribers. That was the first time I saw one of my videos. And uh, yeah, he loves it now. I mean, it took a little while. I couldn't really understand what was going on, but they love it now. They became okay with me being an entrepreneur when my company started to do well. Like I was running the stock company. They didn't know that I was running it. I was doing it on the side in secret because I wasn't allowed to do this stuff. I was in school at the time and my company was doing well and we were featured on some of the local news. And then one of my parents' friends happened to see the news story on TV. 
They called up a parent and said, we just saw your son on TV. My parents were like, oh God, what did he do? Oh, oh no. And they were like, yeah. And so when they found out that I was running this business and it was doing well, that's when they were like, oh, okay, maybe you can do this entrepreneurship thing. But by this time I was already in law school. It was my first year in law school. But that's when they kind of really started to realize I wasn't going to go down the traditional academia path, like kind of the traditional path. Why financial literacy then? I mean, after all of this stuff, where's your passion about teaching? Because you're so good at teaching people about money. Where did that come from? I think just because I learned the hard way that you can do what you love if you can support yourself financially. It makes it much easier. I didn't grow up with any sort of financial education. I didn't know investors. I didn't know what real estate investing was. I don't know any real estate investors. I didn't know any entrepreneurs. These are things that I was never exposed to. I was always told to stay away from, but in reality, if you understand how to do these things the right way, it can make you very wealthy financially. And if you have that financial success, then you could do so many other things in your life, but you have to understand money first. And most of us are never taught this. Did you start off then the YouTube channel is just a side thing, I would imagine? I started off YouTube because I was working on the other company that I was telling you. Yeah, yeah. And I got scammed and I was so frustrated because I had gone through so many scams in my entrepreneurial career by this point. So I was like, you know what? Let me try to create content to help people like me not get screwed over. So I started a class on Udemy called like how to launch a business without getting screwed over. I think I charged $7 for it. It did really well. And the student said, can you please start an Instagram page? And so I started an Instagram page and then everyone said, could you please start a blog? Because we want more in-depth comments, not or sorry, more in-depth content, not just the caption on Instagram. And I was like, well, in- English is my language, so you don't want me to write a blog, but <laughs> I can talk. So I started a YouTube channel and I didn't even know that I could make money off of my videos. I never, I didn't turn on monetization until like 10,000 or so subscribers because I didn't know that I could. One of my friends was asking me, like, how much money am I making for my YouTube channel? I was like, what are you talking about? And so for me, it started off as a hobby. And then it grew. And then I really loved it. And I was like, I'd rather do this. No matter, you know, this is like one, something I would love to do. And the fact that I can make money doing this, all right, let's let's do it. So that's when I shifted my focus and my time and energy to minority mindset instead of the sock company that I was running, even though the sock company was making me more money. Wow. Speaking of getting scammed, a lot of people get scammed often. I love this idea on Halloween of some of these horror stories that people live through. You have been nice enough to give us three horror stories that we're all trying to avoid. Tell me a scary story, Jaspreet. The first scary story that I have is a real estate story. Don't take real estate advice from somebody who's not a real estate expert. So what do I mean by that? I was a just getting involved in real estate. And I was working with this contractor who said he was licensed, but was not actually licensed. And we had done two deals together where he renovated my properties. And then he said, hey, Dustfully, I found this great deal. It's super cheap. I think you should buy it. We can put it $5,000 worth of renovations and you can flip it for a profit. I didn't really care about flipping it, but I wanted to rent it. And I was like, you know what? Fine. And, and this was a property in Detroit, which is different where they have a whole bunch of different regulations, whole different rules. I had not been involved in Detroit and I was still new in real estate. I think I was 20 years old at the time. And this was at the bottom of the 2008 crash. 
So properties were fortunately very cheap. And he put this property in front of me for, I think it was like fifteen or $17,000. Oh man, nothing. And yeah, it was a different time. The interesting thing was he said, don't get a private property inspection. I've already reviewed it. It's fine. It's only going to take him a five grand to renovate it. Maybe 5,500. I said, okay, fine. So I bought the property and I'm going to keep this like as condensed as possible because it's a very long story. But essentially, I gave him a check for $2,500 to start the work. And weeks go by, he had not started the work. So I kept blowing up his phone. What's going on? And he started painting one of the walls and that was it. So I brought a new person in who said that he would live in the property and not charge me a lot of money. He would give me a super big discount. I just got to pay for the materials. And I said, okay, that's fine. And he said, why don't you just open up a Home Depot charge account? That way I can just go buy whatever we need. And then I can go get that stuff and use it at the property. I said, okay, fine. And so that's what I did. And now he's buying stuff from Home Depot, but nothing's being done at the property. That's when I got a little suspicious because we're spending all this money at Home Depot, but I'm not seeing any of the work being done. And that's when I found out that he was buying stuff to use at other people's oh. properties. And so now he's using my money to kind of double dip. And so now I was like, okay, you need to leave. He was not leaving. So now we had to evict him. But the problem was we didn't have a lease because he was just working there. And so now trying to evict him was a big headache. And he had a dog that he was not taking care of. And it took us months to get him out. And before he left, he destroyed the property. His dog was not taking care of his dog. Literally had crap like real crap everywhere around the property. And now the property's in worse shape than before. It is horrible. It's disgusting. And now we have to clean it all up. And now let's bring in a new license and insured contractor. I spent even more money, like at least two or three times when I expected now to get the property turned around. And then the water's not flowing. And we found out that a previous tenant prior to me purchasing the property had poured cement down the drain, which we didn't catch because we never got a property inspection. And now we have to bust out the cement in the basement, lay a new main pipe, re-pour the cement, huge expense. And then I, I decided to do the right thing, which everyone said, don't do. But I wanted to get a license by the city because this was back after the 2008 crash when nobody was doing that, but I wanted to follow the rules. And the city inspector comes out and they told me I need to raise the home. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you need to raise the home by whatever, however much amount. So now we had to physically pick up the property, which is not cheap. I don't even know that you can do that. And this goes on and on and on until ultimately I was like, you know what? I got to get out of this deal. That is still to date the only deal that I have ever lost money on. And I made a video on my YouTube channel where I walked through that home and I showed you every mistake that I made, but I learned a lot of things from that one deal. What a horror story that is. I mean, talk about, talk about chills. You know, you'll watch something on HBO or a DVD or Netflix or whatever, and that'll give you chills. But real life is even worse. I'm surprised your beard is still black. Uh, my beard would have been, <laughs> my beard would have been all gray after that. Here, th- th- there's a few takeaways yeah. here that I want to make sure we dive into. You know, you hammered home getting the inspection. But number two is dealing with other professionals. Is the answer just Breed? Is the answer getting qualifications from the professionals you're working with and verifying those? Or is the answer knowing the metrics yourself so that you can rely on yourself versus relying on, or is it some combo of the two? It's a combination of the two where you got to know what, I mean, you learn through experience, but you need to know what you need to get done. 
and you need to know who you're working with. And this is a matter of just honestly experience where you learn how to work with contractors. You learn what's a good contractor and you learn how to manage contractors. And so it's a process and it takes time to learn how to do that. Do you, one more question is, do you mostly buy houses in the Detroit market because that's where you're at and that's what you know, or do you buy houses all over the United States or, or the world? I buy them mainly Southeast Michigan because I understand it. Yeah. And I know the areas very well, but I am looking at expanding it to other states. Yeah. Is that going to present you new challenges? I would think. I'm sure it will, but that's, you know, it's a real life tuition. It's how you learn. (laughs) And I'm excited for it. Sounds like a guy that runs a YouTube channel teaching people how to do this stuff. <laughs> it's an experiment. Well, yeah, and everything that I talk about are things that I learned. Well, let's do it. I know you've got another horror story for us. I don't know that it could be more bone chilling than the first one, but let's give it a shot. <laughs> well, the second one has to do with an earlier business that I started. When I got to college, I started an event planning company because when I was in high school, I was hosting teen parties, so I got to know a lot of the local DJs. And I really, I mean, I really like it, but I kind of knew the space. And so now I get to college. I was 17 years old. I didn't know what to expect in college. I didn't know people drank and partied in college. My parents didn't go to school here. So I go to school, college, and I see everybody around me partying, blowing money, drinking. And I was like, how do you have this money? Now, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I'm not into partying. So I decided to host the parties instead. Because I needed something to do on Friday nights. And I found a club that was going to allow me to host a party there. They didn't want any money from me up front. Instead, they would take a percentage of the cover charge. They would take 50% of the cover charge, which was very good for me because I didn't have a ton of money to give them. I was 17 at the time. And so I was planning the initial launch of my company, a big party. I was spent months getting everything organized, doing the marketing, just planning everything to happen and the night of the event. So the event was on a Friday night, starts at 10 PM, but Thursday night, Friday morning at like 1 AM, the police had raided the club. Oh no. Because apparently they were serving to underage drinkers and they shut the club down. And I didn't know until the morning of, I got a call from one of my DJs saying that he heard that the club got shut down. And so now I'm blowing up the club owner and the manager's numbers. No one's picking up, trying to figure out what's going on. And at around 11 a.m., they pick up and they tell me uh, that, yeah, we got shut down. No party here. Now I'm trying to start this business. I've already invested my money, my time, my energy, everything to get this party launched. Everybody knows about it, but I have no place to host it. So now I'm scrambling. And this is in Ar- Ann Arbor, University of Michigan, a nice campus. And I'm looking for places to host a party tonight. And places are asking for $10,000, oh. $20,000, $30,000. I don't have that type of money. So, I mean, I was scrambling, calling every single person possible. And I found this one Italian restaurant on Main Street, beautiful place that agreed to allow me to host this party. I said, it's a small little college event that I want to host, <laughs> you know, whatever. And they didn't know what I was doing because I just needed a place to do it. But then and I asked them, like, do you guys have any security? They were like, what do you mean security? We have waiters. And I was like, uh, yeah, that's fine. So I don't have bouncers. I don't have anybody to help me collect cover. Like I said, literally it's an Italian restaurant that we moved the tables for and we had the DJ booth set up. And this was a absolute mess because now they had no idea of how many people to expect. The place is packed with people. Like you're shoulder to shoulder with people. They don't have enough people working. The bar, we have no security, no bouncers. 
things were just getting destroyed because it was such a nice Italian restaurants and then fights started to break out. So then we had to call the cops and it was shut down eventually. But the people that were there absolutely loved it. I lost money, but I made my money back to my future uh, parties after that. But it was uh, very stressful. One of the most uh, stressful events that I have ever hosted, if not the most stressful. The best piece of that story from where I sit, Jaspreet, is that you're in college and you're taking a chance, right? I mean, you're you're building this entrepreneurial muscle because you already know people are going to mess things up. I mean, there's no way around you messing things up. So getting these these mess ups, no matter how expensive, quote, they were at the time and getting it out of the way, I think it's a pretty important life lesson. Yeah, it taught me a lot on how to make things work with little resources because I don't have a lot of money to start. I started this with literally, I don't know, probably a couple hundred bucks because like, I didn't have money to pay the DJs. So the DJs were also on uh, commission. Commission. So the club would take 50% of the revenue. The DJ would take 50% of whatever I took. So I was left with 25% of the revenue. I spent maybe $100 per day flyers. That was the extent of my cost, but it was a lot of work that I had to do because not everything was on me to make it work. And I learned how to talk to people. I learned how to figure things out quickly, right? When you're thrown in the fire, you got to figure out. And that's one of those things where, you know, you can't learn that in the textbook. I love that. Marketing, operations, human resources, breaking up fights. Like all the, all the- I was a physical bouncer. And in, especially in that industry, it gets tough. Like we were, there's events where, you know, we, every time we kept a knife on us, because you never knew what would happen. There was an event where someone tried to pull a gun on us, like the, the organizers, one time I went to the, and I was in like, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old. I went to go talk to a club manager and I was like, you know, where is this guy? And the person working there said he got stabbed last night. So it's just a very dirty industry, which is why I got so sick and tired of it. And I wanted to get as far away from it as possible. That's funny and kind of congruent. I, uh, I DJed to pay my way through college. It was one of three jobs <laughs> that I had. But and, you know, yeah, I got tired of being getting home at three thirty in the morning. I got tired of trying to clean alcohol off of all of my equipment. You know, this expensive equipment yeah. just doused in beer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I got pulled over one time because I was speeding, and my whole car smelled like alcohol. I hadn't had a drink. <laughs> I'd had no drink, and the police officer. God bless her. I mean, she's just doing her job. She was sure I was drunk. She was sure because my whole car reeked. And so she was very surprised when they called the breathalyzer car and I was telling the truth. (laughs) (laughs) I I know it's a tough, tough business Uh, as well, especially when you're young. Yes. Yes. And to your point, a ton of life lessons and being an entrepreneur while you're in college has given me so many, so many lessons learning to deal with people especially, and having crap jobs. I think there's something to be said for having some bad jobs uh, at an early early time. I don't know if you have time for one more quick one. Yes. The third one is more money doesn't always fix problems. No, shut the front door. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is now a more recent one. We were trying to build our blog, and my focus was on Market Briefs, which is the company that I built my financial newsletter company. Uh, We have an app that I'm running, and a tax firm that I'm building and some have a lot of places, but I wanted to build our minority mindset blog. 
And so I didn't have the time to really manage the blog and come up with a strategy. Instead, I hired one of the top blog experts in the world, a very successful agency that helps build and manage blogs. And we paid them, I don't remember how much, probably six figures, like over a hundred some thousand dollars for 12 months to help manage the blog. And all that money went down the drain. No, They did not do anything good. Our blog actually decreased in traffic after 12 months after paying the six figures. And that doesn't include any of the article costs. We probably had another quarter million dollars in actual production costs of all of our content. So it was just a very expensive lesson where you can't just throw money at problems and expect it to fix it. You have to really, I mean, if you want to do it successfully, you have to be back to your bootstraps, back to figuring out, get back to the, you know, how did you get here in the first place and replicate the lean strategies that we can actually grow and build what you want to do. And unfortunately, yeah, you got to put in the work if you want to see the results. So left to do that over, you would then do it the same way you did your YouTube channel where you're learning as you're going. Yes. And so that's what we're doing now. We completely trimmed out the fat. We have reduced our costs like 80%. We have fired that agency and now our blog has been growing significantly. We're significantly bigger now than where we were when we were paying them. And we are seeing a lot of growth. And I love your biggest takeaway. And I heard it loud and clear and everybody's looking for a shortcut. You know, you see people come to your channel, they're looking for a shortcut. And I love the fact that you just said there isn't one. And if you put in the work, which is truly the minority mindset, I think just breed, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. I mean, I don't, definitely not the smartest person. I'm not the most talented person, but I I think my skill set is I can work hard and I'm willing to learn. And the harder you work, the luckier you get, but you have to be willing to learn. Keep learning to see how you can work smarter. I don't know, man. I think you're incredibly talented at telling ghost stories for sure. Those were three. (laughs) Well, I had a lot of painful life lessons. (laughs) Those are ugly ones, brother, that we can all learn from. Hey, if, if we're sending people not just to the front door, what's hot on minority mindset right now? What should people be looking at today as they uh, are hearing us? Of course, you can check out the minoritymindset.com or minority mindset on YouTube. But if you want to go deeper, you can check out market briefs, which is my free financial newsletter. It's completely, completely free. And we break down what's happening in the financial markets into a fun, witty, and easy to read email. So that's marketbriefs.com. It's so good. It is so good. I get it myself and it is, uh, you're right. It's incredibly entertaining. Just Bree, happy Halloween, my friend. And thank thanks you. for hanging out with a former Detroiter. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. This is Daryl from Pennsylvania. When I'm not busy arguing with a four-year-old, I'm stacking Benjamins. No, daddy. Big thanks to Just Breed for, for those spine tingling tales. Ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's throw out Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, OG, they put what you value first. Oh, uh, yeah. We were talking about it earlier. Definitely the, the Kit Kats. I thought you were going to say Kit the Kats Fireball. And the crunch Bars. Kit Kats over the Fireball. No, no, it's a Monday. I better, better lay back. Hang back on that. You love just got to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> Pain in the butt. Your loved ones, your time, and Kit Kats. It's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com slash Haven Life to get a free quote. 
at Haven Life, you'll find that they've slashed all those questions that they already either know the answer to or they don't need. So the application is simple. It's all online. They have wonderful customer support. You get an instant coverage decision and they're backed by their parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160 years old. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Hey, team. This is Lisa in Seattle. I'm 59 and a half. My husband is 61 and retired in April 2021. I still work as a gardener and make about $25,000 a year, part-time. We have about $820,000 in retirement funds, IRAs, Roths, etc., and a standard stock cash account of about $100,000. Our current cash is about $50,000. We have about $40,000 in I-bonds. But my real question has to do with part of that $820,000 retirement funds. There's a $250,000 qualified annuity in there. And I understand now my fear of the market that led to this. Let's not psychoanalyze that. Here's my question. Do I keep the annuity and start monthly withdrawals at 59 and a half and get $1,300 a month until I die at 100 plus? Or do I roll that over into an IRA to start getting more potential growth? Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Your podcast is great. And if you do use this and I get a t-shirt, please give it to Doug so he'll stop whining. Thank you. <laughs> Lisa, we can't, we can't, we can't do we that. We're contractually obligated to send it to you. We, we are. I am so sorry. Hey, we are contractually obligated to listen to Doug complain. You can, you can give it away. There's nothing that makes our day. Uh, Doug went upstairs uh, for, uh, thank goodness he's not here right now because uh, yeah, we, it lights up our life to not give it to Doug. I think I know what he's getting for Christmas, though. Oh, I can't wait to hear this when we turn the microphones off. This will be fun. Not a t-shirt. We got to get him something that looks like a t-shirt, like a baby gap t-shirt or something. <laughs> be like, oh, you got the wrong size? Dang oh. It. Maybe next year. Give him one of those singlets we give it to babies. A onesie. They're not called singlets. <laughs> called onesies. Onesie. Singlets whatever. are what wrestlers wear. <laughs> Isn't that just a onesie for adults? Isn't that what that is? Yeah. No? Dig back in the archives and get the uh, Stacking Benjamins uh, tennis skirt. <laughs> I am, yeah, with my face right in the crotch, that one. That was uh, very oddly placed by the uh, product development people. Fantastic product. Hey, uh, uh, so I've got a question. She said she has a qualified annuity. Does that mean the annuities inside the IRA? Because she talks about rolling it over to an IRA. So I'm a little, yeah, I'm a little confused. Yeah, I think that, that that's how I'm interpreting it. Is that somebody bought an IRA, has an IRA, and bought an annuity within it? So the double tax deferral, yeah, which doesn't we, exist. Yeah, we should talk about that for a second. But but let me ask you this because you may know the answer to this. I don't. At one point, a few years ago there were more annuities in IRAs than any other product. Do you know if that's still true? I did not know that to be true then, and I don't know it to be true now. Yeah, it it, it was true uh, yeah. that more money in annuities in IRAs, which to OG's point, and, and I know, Lisa, you told us not to belabor this, and we're not going to do it for you, but we're going to do it for everybody else, just so they know. An annuity is a tax-deferred vehicle 
that you can take payouts on. And obviously, Lisa being at the time, she says, afraid of the market, annuities can come with some features that allow you to participate in the market while also protecting your downside. And the bad news is, in many cases, those annuity features make it so that the participation you get in the stock market is not worthwhile. I mean, just chuck it, throw it away. It doesn't matter. They take it away because they need to protect their downside as well. If they're protecting you, they're also protecting them. The big thing about an annuity is it's tax deferred. And so you don't pay tax on it until you take take it out. Having an annuity inside an IRA means you're paying extra for this tax deferral. But when you put it in an IRA, you have it in a tax deferred vehicle. So now we have a tax deferred vehicle inside of a tax shelter. In most cases, unless, unless OG, you really are worried about those market protection features. Yeah. And you really insist on them. It's not worth it having annuity in IRA. So Lisa, I know you already know that which is why you're asking the question. But I just want to make sure everybody else knows that. That annuity inside an IRA most of the time is a mistake, which she she knows. So so what does she do? Does she start drawing on it OG? Or does she take in monthly payouts from it? Or does she move it over? Yeah. So I think that there's a couple of things to consider here and, and research before you do anything. Most annuities come with surrender penalties. So when you buy an annuity one of the ways that they're able to have so many guarantees is they know the money's going to be around, right? You're not going to be putting it in and pulling it out and, you know, depending on market conditions. And, and if you do, they penalize you very severely early. Depending, I mean, I've seen surrender charges as high as 10, 12, 15% if you're changing your mind within a short period of time. Most of them go away after seven-ish years, 10-ish years, 12-ish years, somewhere in that kind of range is when the surrender penalty decreases to zero. So the first thing that I would be curious about is how much does it cost to make a change? If you just purchased this some time ago uh, or recently, it may be too cost prohibitive to make a change. The second thing that I would look at is what exactly do you get with the product that you have? And uh, you know what are those guarantees? What do they look like? And how much does it cost you? Because while there's a lot of annuities that are really, really, really crappy, there are a number that are pretty good as it relates to an annuity and do their job, which is protect your downside exposure at a pretty fair cost. And those can be advantageous as you're developing a retirement plan. I'm not saying it's a great idea, but it's not the end of the world. It may not be as big of a deal as you think. So I'd look at the cost to surrender it. I would look at the cost that you're paying and then and then also evaluate thirdly, what are the benefits that you're getting? In the last year and a half or give or take, those who had annuities with guaranteed income increases and and guaranteed, you know, floors of 0% feeling pretty good right now. <laughs> They're like, "Look, I'm I still have the money that I had on January 1st and you idiots are down 25%." Now, if you're an equity investor, you you understand that that's kind of the price you pay for the long-term growth. But in the short run, it looks pretty attractive. So I would expect to see a lot more of these. I've already started to see them commercials and you know annuity salespeople kind of coming out of the woodwork going, hey, is your portfolio down 25%? Would you like to guarantee that it never does that again? Let me show you how, you know, type of, type of spiels. Where we tend to see the annuity product work the best is if it's very low cost, if it has some flexibility and it allows for participation in the in the market 
up to a certain amount. And like you were saying earlier, Joe, most of the time, the sales pitch sounds like, would you like all of the upside with none of the downside? Well, of course I would. Everyone would like that. But that's not how they work. They cap your upside as they have to, to protect their ability to protect your downside. So they might say, for example, you get 25% of all of the S&P returns. Well, that sounds pretty good. 25% in exchange for zero. Well, what's 25% of the S&P return on average? Two and a half percent. Okay. That's not as great. But what do we know? What, what investment product do we know of that returns two and a half to 3% a year? Fixed income, right? A conservative fixed income portfolio would return two and a half to 3% a year. So in some cases, it can make sense if you already have this to have that be a portion of your fixed income portfolio of your retirement plan. Oh, to think about it that way. A hundred percent. Yeah. I would not think about this as a part of my equity exposure because it can't behave like an equity investment. It can only behave like a fixed income investment, which is limited volatility, way limited upside, and probably no downside. That's kind of how it works. The feature that you're talking about in terms of distributions is what's called a guaranteed withdrawal benefit. Uh, Annuities have two of these. Two sides of these, I should say. One side is the actual annuitization of the product. Nobody annuitizes an annuity. What does it mean when you annuitize something? That is saying to the insurance company, I will trade away all of this money in exchange for a guaranteed benefit for the rest of my life that will cease the day that I cease living. No one does this. You know why? Because with 250 grand at age 60, and you're getting whatever number she said, $1,000 a month, what happens if you get hit by the mail truck on the way to get the first check? You don't get to even cash the first check and the insurance company keeps all 250. It takes a rest. <laughs> like nobody likes that deal. So the insurance company came out with another side of this, which is called the guaranteed withdrawal benefit, which is probably what she's talking about, where they say, we'll give you this certain amount for the rest of your life. And then they base it on kind of some of the same math. But if you pass away along the way, then your beneficiary will get some some remainder amount, whatever that looks like. Yeah, as long as you only take this amount, the guarantees stay in place. Correct. Yeah, as long as you follow our rules, which there are many boxes to check, then we won't we won't adjust it. So it's not as simple as just saying, "Well, I'm going to cash it out and send it into my my brokerage account or my IRA at wherever you know wherever my IRAs are," because there's a lot of factors there. And if it's low cost, if it's high cost to get out of. And the benefits are pretty good relative to you know the industry. It might make sense to just kind of keep it as part of your fixed income, part of your portfolio, and adjust the rest of your investments around it. If it's so, the rest of the eight hundred thousand skew more toward your stock portion. Yes, exactly. And this is the thing that I think a lot of people tactically don't think about: is all of your money is all of your money. There are better places for parts of it, right? We would say, hey, the most aggressive stuff should be in your Roth because it has the highest likelihood of increase and no taxation, right? So we want that to be the highest bucket. But people sometimes will look and say, well, I've got this IRA and it's diversified this way and this IRA and it only has these funds and I suck and, and this IRA and I got my 401k and it's high cost and, you know, that, it, well, it's all your money. So if you look at the bucket as all of your money, it's easy to say, well, this 200000 that can be my fixed income portion of my portfolio and I need the other 600000 to be invested in stocks. The downside is then when you look at your brokerage account, all you see are stock investments and they can go all over the place. So you have to, you know, again, when you evaluate it, you have to look at the whole the whole bucket as well. So 
cost to get out, cost to stay, benefits to stay. Once you know those things, then I think you can start making a, a decision as to what kind of changes you want to make. Lisa, thanks for that question. If you've got a question for us, stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail, and we're happy to answer, answer that question. That's stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail. All right. I think that's going to, man, what a great episode we had today. Community-wise, if you want to join us on Wednesdays, uh, we have an Instagram Live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We last year talked to the CEO of Dave, now a public company, which is uh, one of the big fintech success stories, OG, and had a great discussion with him about, about how banks mistreat customers which I thought was a very interesting discussion and a sad discussion. But also we talked about the new Apple product uh, where Apple, I don't know if you saw this for people that, that have the Apple card. Now there's a high yield savings account that comes mm-hmm. to that card. And as people start dreaming about yield again, they have that. So we had a great discussion, but you can join us on Wednesdays for our Instagram live But if you're not here for Instagram lives, uh, you're here specifically because you're seeing all these recession fears in the media. You're seeing the frustration that people have, people like Lisa, as an example, with her investments, and you're anxious about making some moves in your finances. Instead, what I want you to do is check out this free guide OG and his team put together that'll help you plan more and panic less, no matter what the market does. It's some great insights on what you should be doing smart questions to ask yourself so that you make financial decisions your future self will thank you for. Head over to stackingbenjamins.com slash guide. That's stackingbenjamins.com slash guide to get that free guide from OG. Some scary times out there for a lot of people. OG, I know people are pretty worried. So thanks for putting that together. That's going to do it for today, I think. Uh, Doug, you got it from your man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, here's what we should have learned. First, take some advice from Chuck Jaffe. You can turn any holiday into a fun money lesson if you just think a little creatively. Second, take some advice from Jaspreet Singh. Financial horror stories? Because you're here getting educated, you can turn those nightmares into unicorns and rainbows. But the big lesson... I don't even think it was a horror movie. I mean, clowns, fun, balloons, funner. That's just a feel-good movie if I've ever heard of one. Thanks to Chuck Jaffe for joining us today. Find out more about his work at moneylifeshow.com. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. And thanks as well to Jaspreet Singh. Learn more about his work at theminoritymindset.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives, written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. 
Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is great. John Wardock and the team at Westwood One asked OG and Doug and I to talk about some of our favorite Halloween stuff. And we did that for them. And uh, you'll find this video on our YouTube channel. But I thought it's an appropriate day for us to play this here. Hey, gents, let's talk Halloween for a second. Question number one, what is your... Favorite Halloween memory? I've got a good one. I do too. All right. When I was uh, 13-ish or so, I got to uh, go trick-or-treating kind of by myself, went with a buddy. I love how I love how exciting a story this is. When I was... Well, first of all, everybody immediately thought when I was 13, you were too old to Halloween. Oh, do you remember that? 13-year-olds would show up on your doorstep. You're yeah. like, man, no. no. Go away. So we... Um, we had these um, like fart bomb things, capsules, right? And it's like it was like sulfur, like a like a real heavy sulfur smell. And so we would try to time it so that we would drop it, trick or treat, and by the time we left, it would like that's when the billowing scent would appear. So we, you know, we're having a good time with this. We smash one. They're like little plasticky things that you broke open. So we do that, ring the doorbell. It's taking forever. It's taking forever. It's taking forever. We're like, crap, this is going to take too long. And then finally, this old lady opens the door. She's like, oh, hello, you know. Ha- oh, and she like she goes, was that you or was that me? <laughs> and we're like, um, and she's like, don't worry, honey. It happens. There you go. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> we just totally abused this poor woman, uh, which was, you know, in retrospect, probably, you know, may not have chosen that house to to do this on. But uh, but uh, I, I have distinct memories of that. That and my brother dressing up as the headless horseman 
sitting on the porch, like he like he stuffed, he like wore one of my dad's like um, big overcoats and stuffed like hay in it, so he looked like like just like a ragdoll hay thing with like a pumpkin on his head. And then kids would come up and he'd go, "Hey, can I?" And they just just take off <laughs> screaming because this you know this oversized coat just full of hay with a pumpkin on its head. So anyway. I would have always been one of those kids, by the way. I would have always been one of those kids. Doug? I have two great memories uh, at kind of at either end of my Halloween experience. Really early on, I don't remember how old I was, four, maybe five, probably five. But this was way back in the day before parents were going out with their with kids until they were like 12, 13 years old. Mom was like, get out of the house, just stick with your brothers. And so I was tiny and pretty early on in the night, We'd probably been to five houses, and so I didn't have that much candy. Some big kids came and stole, like, they mugged us, basically, and stole our candy. And a woman, it was kind of between houses, and the woman whose house we just came from saw it. She's yelling at the kids, but they're long gone. And she's like, come back here, come back here, to us, to, to the kids who just got our stuff stolen. And she just gave us all her candy. Wow. Well, it all worked of it. out. Uh, so, a, yeah. That we, sounds like an easy way to scam people. You're like, all right, so what we need to do is you pretend to mug me, and then we're going to take all her candy. <laughs> this is where his mind goes. It's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> it's a good Samaritan moment. You're like, we can rip off this. We can take advantage. <laughs> so, it never even occurred to me. <laughs> Next year, do this exact same thing. I've had 40 years to think about this, and never once did I think, ooh, I should have set that up as a scam. That could have been next year's candy. And then candy I could sell haul. the candy that they give me. Hashtag side hustle. <laughs> Thank God he uses his powers for good on the show. You know what? You're so evil. Evil, evil mind. Believe. But the other, so the other memory, uh, great memory I had was uh, when my kids were little. This is, I think, a great evolution of Halloween is you're walking with your kids and after they've got their candy and they walk away, the dad inside the house is handing you a beer. Oh, <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. Or there's yeah, the cooler off to the there. side and they're like, have one. Oh, that's the best evolution of Halloween I could think of. Our neighbors, a couple down, have have two coolers. They have the kids cooler, which is little ice cream. You know, those like uh, wood spoons, you know, that you just kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have the adult cooler, which is fireball. <laughs> <laughs> like i want to no, that's for your mom and dad that's trick-or-treat for mom and dad right there when my kids were growing up the dad down the street worked 24 7 but his wife told me that like the three weeks before she's like you you're up for halloween right you're up for halloween and it turned out it was his favorite day because we would take the wagon behind our kids with the cooler and he and i would just drink our way around the blocks and yeah, it was like it's a like a home it's like epcot yeah, in your own neighborhood. I did that. Yeah. I did that with you once, Joe and Ark. We went trick or treating together. Wasn't that fun? Remember Were the that? kids even there? I don't remember. I, who needed kids? We dropped them off. <laughs> they were at the beginning. The kids were there at the start. But at some point, I don't know. so I, I actually, it's funny. This is coming up. This doesn't need to make any part of this the show, but. I know the coat I was wearing. I specifically wore a coat with you that night because it's this huge hunting coat that has all these pockets all over it. And it was just loaded with beers and <laughs> flasks to go out trick-or-treating with you. <laughs> just fortified. Honey, I'm going out with Joe again. Give me, the, give me yeah. the Sherpa coat. I need the full handle. Fortified for the evening with Joe. 
uh, mine when Cheryl and I were dating the JCs, uh, we weren't dating the JCs. What? <laughs> As a couple, you were dating the JCs when we were when we were dating, comma. The JCs had a let's eat uh, grandma. Commas matter, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, uh, we we went to this JCs haunted house, and I would have been one of those people, OG, screaming if your brother was, you know, setting up a scare gag. So I don't know why I decided to do this because I hate this stuff. So we go inside this haunted house, set up in the parking lot of a strip mall. Sounds and legit. sanitary and we walk around like the first corner and there is there's a coffin and the coffin begins to open and by now i'm gripping this is cheryl's version story i'm gripping her hand so hard that like all the feeling is leaving her hand and the second this coffin starts to open i i book it i just totally book it we've been dating maybe three months shove cheryl in front of the bad guy and you take off I go, I go around the corner and we go over through these like spider webs and that freaks me out even more. So I start walking even faster to the point that we go around the next corner. There's a dude who has a uh, chainsaw and another guy who's got this ax with fake blood on it. They both have these like monster masks, but they have their masks up because they're hard to breathe and it's kind of hot in there. And these dudes are seriously, I come around the corner and they're chatting like, yeah, so what are you doing tomorrow? What's going on? And I run around the corner and I see these two dudes and they notice me. They stop talking. They put their mask down and they go, <laughs> boo. And I go, ah! <laughs> and I run. What? I totally wasted like 10 bucks on this thing because I was through it in like, I don't know, 37 seconds. I was done. Was not and good. Cheryl has stuck with you after that. Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, a coward like that. I need this guy. That's a man. Like, this this guy's incredible. Yes, cries at chick flicks and can't make it through the through the uh, haunted house. That's a dude for me. Yeah. Second question: What's your favorite Halloween costume? On on somebody else or on ourselves? <laughs> right. <laughs> because I've got I've got a definite answer librarian (laughs) sure likes it when i dress up as the french maid (laughs) she loves that one in fact to the point that we it's not just for halloween she's all like it's time to clean again joe you're like right away (laughs) it can be halloween any wednesday (laughs) the halloween that lasts all year I don't know. I had one when I was in like third grade that I made myself out of a, we got a new refrigerator. So I took the refrigerator box and one of those, uh, one of those gallon ice cream things that they have at like a Baskin Robbins, put it on the top and called it a a robot, you know? And I, I just remember the fact that I did that myself. That was the first Halloween costume I made myself. Still proud. 54 years old. (laughs) I'm still proud of myself. Go Joey, go Doug. What's your favorite? Come on. Uh, you know, my favorite um, was a uh, Aquaman costume that I wore. And the best part about it, and I think there's a few people listening that are going to remember just how great it was for the plastic mask eye holes to just be cutting into your eyes all night long. And you're bleeding underneath that mask because of that hard edge around the eyes. And then you get that little little hole in the mouth to breathe through all night long. Remember how great oh, those costumes oh, were? Oh, God. Yeah, that's my favorite costume, Aquaman. We did as a family one time. (laughs) What's that? Foreshadowing what? 
Doug, like having the mask on and a little hole to breathe out of, like a little zipper mask. <laughs> no, I knew exactly what he was thinking. That disturbs me <laughs> that I knew exactly. <laughs> like as I'm telling the story, I'm looking at it's his like face. Like in Pulp Fiction, he's thinking the I'm gimp. the gimp. You guys both <laughs> I knew it. Oh God, I knew it. I'm telling the story. I'm looking at him, and I knew he was turning this into something depraved. You guys both disturb me because I'm still. Hey, when I was in third grade, I took a. Joe's like Raggedy bus. Andy and Raggedy Ann. Those were my favorite. <laughs> Doug's like, I like the zipper gimp mask. <laughs> we actually went to we went to a Halloween party early in our marriage. Well, we had kids, so I don't know twenty plus years ago, and it was a couple we met through church. And we go over to their house, and she answers the door in her Britney Spears costume from the Oops, I Did It Again or whatever, you know, the little tiny plaid skirt and the shirt that barely fits. Yeah. Holy cow, this is going to be the best party ever. And we get inside, and and her husband, I think, was like a, a bishop or a priest or something like that. So there's a little funny irony in there. But there's another couple there who were in full BDSM costume the husband was on a leash the whole night that was not their first <laughs> I, and, and it was clear that was that was not a rented costume like and they, you guys were and you guys were raggedy and handy no we went as the ultimate cheer team from saturday night live <laughs> will ferrell and, uh, and i'm thinking yeah. my wife's a little spicy in this outfit i mean i'm not like, even close and yeah, she wasn't even close to the spiciest one there. It's a different kind of party you were invited to, I, I think. Totally was. And this was a church couple from church. OG, your favorite? I was gonna say all of the uh, all of that probably has to go. Um let's see. Favorite I don't ha- I, I don't have any memories of any costumes that I ever wore. I don't. I have a lot of pictures of my kids. They have some good ones, like dinosaurs and stuff like that, but but I don't have a uh Oh, geez, like middle-aged dad, middle-aged. <laughs> can I go with middle-aged dad? Yeah, that's that's my favorite. Yes. All right, last one. Sorry, I'm not fun. Yeah. Fodder oh, for you'll that nail one. this one though. He You're going to nail. Look at how many specific memories he had of the hijinks of Halloween and of scamming people and of scaring the crap out of people. Potentially scamming people. Like, I, I wasn't. Talk... Eno- I was enough of a bitch to get my candy stolen. He could. He could talk for hours on that aspect of Halloween. But when you want the nice, you sweet sound like memories, the kid I would have stolen candy from. What's your favorite costume? Well, hell, I don't they know. They took my Are you candy. Are supposed to wear costumes? Yeah. I'd have waited outside and seen that happen. I would have taken that candy, too. <laughs> oh, jeez. Stealing Doug's candy. Uh, you're going to nail this one, though. Uh, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, John's going to have a fun time, by the way, editing all this. So, what's your favorite Halloween candy, OG? Halloween candy. Mm, Fireball. <laughs> no too soon (laughs) (laughs) Doug (laughs) how you gonna follow that uh meth I was I was gonna go with the Jeff Garland joke, the one where he's like, I, I like the Three Musketeers bars, but not that little fun size. You know, they call those fun size, but those aren't fun size; those are frustrating size. Yeah, nothing fun about that. Yeah, yeah, nothing fun about the small ones. Give me the full length Three Musketeers bar. 
I like Snickers. I like. I think Snickers probably my my favorite Halloween candy that's coming to mind. I feel like most candy has changed in the last uh, ten years. I don't know, just like the flavor of it. It tastes plasticky now. Yeah, our go to is just got to be peanut M and M's. Yeah, you know, I buy big like the two pound bags of those. Leave it in the armrest in my truck, and I'm just I'm (laughs) working on that bag. That's the mistake. Better than smoking, I suppose, but not by much. (laughs) Can't figure out why I'm not losing weight. (laughs) Two pounds of peanut M and M's every Tuesday. (laughs) God, it takes me like three days to get through. I mean, let's not be crazy about this. Come on. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning. Because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life, and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.